0: Welcome to Offer Off Stage. I'm Michelle. And I'm Jesse. And we're so excited to finally be sharing our first episode. This project has been so many months in the making, and we're really excited to finally be talking about self-advocacy. So,
1: the first of our four pillars for self-advocacy is ask for what you want. This one's important because it's by far one of the easiest things you can do, and I know it's really hard especially when you're asking for something from someone who uh, is in charge of you, who has control over these things, but people cannot read your mind. Uh, And so if you never actually speak up and say what it is you want, whether it's money or a role or whatever it is that's in front of you, you'll never know if you could actually get it.
0: Yes, this has been my big mantra for 2020, uh, is asking for what I want. And I can already say that this has truly been like a life-changing life changing like lesson that I've learned. And I think like the biggest thing is I think we're always so scared to ask for what we want because we automatically assume everybody's going to say no. (laughs) But actually the kind of the opposite is true. People are so much more accommodating than we ever expect them to be. And really, if they say no, that's like, the worst outcome, right? Like you're in, in the same position that you were before you ask. So really nothing has changed. So you can literally only benefit from asking what you want.
1: Well, and even if they do say no, you can at least learn why. You can always ask the question, well, why? And that at least will give you guidance as to what your next steps are. Mm-hmm. Because no is also a learning opportunity. Yeah. And I'll say this. I actually have a story about this because when I was an was never really chosen for master classes which at first I really understood I was like okay, you know what I'm new here I'm young mostly they were choosing juniors and seniors and then I got into my junior and senior year and I still wasn't doing any of the master classes and I was starting to get uh, self-conscious about it and then I went to the head of the department who was in charge of the next master class and I asked her I said I would really like to be in this next big master class uh, I have a piece that I'd really like to sing for for this uh, incredible singer and get her feedback on and I got a oh sure of course (laughs) it was nothing personal she was just looking out for her students because she was also an active voice teacher there and I don't I think she really just didn't realize that I hadn't been doing the master classes so it's always good to speak up for yourself because even if she had said no at least she would have said I don't think you have the right rep for this one or what have
0: you yeah it's a good learning opportunity yeah Yeah, no, I was just going to say that, you know, most of the time when you're asking for something, it might seem like the end of the world because you're like, dear God, what if I'm asking for too much? What if they say no? Blah, 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 blah. But most of the time, and you can be your own judge on this, but you're usually not asking for something totally unreasonable, you know?
1: I have yet to have anyone tell me I've ever asked for too much or that I'm a demanding person. I aspire to be a demanding person.
0: (laughs) Set that goal for yourself. Yeah, I do. But I do. I aspire to
1: be so straightforward with people that like I am to some degree demanding because it is a level of having standards for yourself in your life. Uh, And it it really helps you understand what you want going into something instead of just going with the flow. Going with the flow can be a solid quality when things get wonky and they're just uncontrollable. But having no standards will really mess you up and it will lead to people taking advantage of you.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because when, I mean, it always depends on what you're asking for, but um, kind of like another scenario that I can think of and that I've read a lot about is one of the hardest things to ask for is when there's money involved because people just automatically get super weird about money and, you know, knowing how much you're worth and knowing, you know, if they already have proposed X amount and that's like really not going to cut it. Like, how do you go about that? But honestly, it's like, you need to view it more of as an opportunity to have a discussion. Like we said, the worst thing, if you ask for more money or whatever, is that they're going to say no. But I would say, generally, they're going to work with you to meet in some sort of middle ground. It's not going to just be like, oh, how dare you ask me? They're usually going to either be accommodating, explain why they might not be able to give you any more money, or I feel like more likely... Just be like, well, that's maybe a little bit out of our budget. Can we settle on this?
1: Well, and that's the other thing. If they come into any more money for their project, they may also think about increasing their your pay because you've brought it up. You've made it clear that this was something you kind of needed or were interested in. Um, uh, that happens sometimes with scholarships. Schools may not have the money available at the moment, but sometimes things change. Schools get grants or donations from donors and they keep the people who asked in mind. Asking for money is definitely one of the hardest things to do because money is always a touchy subject, but you shouldn't feel afraid to bring it up. Uh, and anyone who's offended by your ask for money is probably not someone you want to be working with because anyone who's afraid to just like even discuss your pay with you is probably severely underpaying you when they know it. <laughs> so true, <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. No, I was going to say that the other thing that you have to keep in mind when you're talking about money and how much you're going to be paid is that they're, you're not just being paid for a performance, you're being paid for performance and rehearsals and the practice time it'll take you to learn or perfect a piece. Um, because often when I'm prepping stuff, I'm also paying coaches or voice teachers or other people I'm working with while I prep. So you have to keep those kinds of costs in mind, but also the years and years of training it takes to be able to sing those pieces Uh, Because it can be hard when you're looking at a straight-up hourly to really keep in mind exactly what all led to you singing certain roles or pieces. Uh, And it can feel like you're overcharging, but you really have to keep it all in perspective.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and something that you and I have talked about at length is kind of the idea that you set your own standards for yourself, And obviously everybody starts off in a different position. You know, there's always value in in kind of working your way up. But at the same time, if you continue to take gigs or concerts, whatever, that are severely underpaying you or like 25% of what you would hope or think that you're worth, you have to get to a point where it's like, is it worth it to take it? Because I'm basically setting the standard to these people that I'm okay with being paid this amount and obviously you know like I said everybody's in a different stage in their career and you have to be able to judge that for yourself but there's also a lot of value in taking enough pride and knowing what you're worth and being able to turn jobs down that you know are just way below your pay level you have to set a good example for yourself and others
1: of course that's and I think you brought up an important point there which is that The way you let yourself be treated as a musician will also affect how they treat future musicians, whether they'll try to undercut them and pay. And while you're not responsible for them being uh, bad at dealing with musicians, it's good to keep in mind sometimes that other musicians, your friends, will want you to set up a good relationship and make it clear that musicians are worth paying. And that comes not only from having people pay you what you are uh, actually worth, but also paying the musicians you work with when you do recital or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Make sure you pay your instrumentalists and your pianists and your coaches very well. Um, I have a lot of coaches who have tried to undersell themselves and who try to short their prices, which is very sweet because they work with students a lot. And I know they're keeping that in mind, but if you can pay them what you think they are actually worth which is good not only because it fosters a good relationship, but when you run into a position I've been in a couple times where you want to make a recording really quickly for an audition you didn't know was coming up, or you need an extra rehearsal before something, they will often make time for you because they know that you value their time and they value that relationship with you.
0: Yes. Treat musicians well, y'all. Even if you are a musician. Like, the same goes for everybody that you work with.
1: Especially if you're a musician.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yes. Cut out the people who aren't going to pay you well,
1: who aren't going to treat you well. Uh, You will, in that vein, attract more people who actually do value you by only taking jobs with people who actually value their musicians enough to pay them appropriately um, and to not be abusive with their time either.
0: Yeah, You you need to start, you know, inserting yourself into the circle that you want to be in rather than being in a circle that never pays you and doesn't treat you well,
1: I think that's a great lead-in into our next uh, part, which is create your own opportunities. Your opportunity to create your own circle of people who all value each other.
0: (sighs) Okay, y'all. I have thoughts about this. This is like... Okay. Let me simmer down. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so something that I hear literally all the time from musicians and non-musicians alike is the sentiment that there's way too many singers or musicians uh, and not enough jobs. And I'll say that, you know, there there's some truth to that, all right? I'm not so naive to think that that's entirely false. But when people say this, and truly take it to heart. It's my biggest pet peeve. Because if you subscribe to this idea, ugh, there's just too many of us, there's not enough jobs, then you're putting yourself in kind of a reactive state, right? You're just like, this is the situation. There's nothing I can do to change. There's just too many of us and not enough jobs. Wah. When really you should be empowering yourself to be proactive. If you apply for a summer program or you audition to be in an opera or have a role or you're applying to whatever and you don't get it, okay, you didn't get it. Buy yourself some ice cream, be sad for a day, and then it's game time. If you don't get accepted to any summer programs, there's nothing stopping you from creating your own summer program, and this is just absolutely invaluable. There are so many things that you can do with your time, and just because you don't get into this or you don't do this does not mean that it's like, woe is me, there's nothing that I can do, I just have to wait until next audition season, no. No. You have to give yourself the power to come up with a plan to use your time well. And rant.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's you're absolutely right. And I think I think it's also just important to say that it is poisonous to your spirit as a musician to always be in the position of having to be chosen by other people. Yes. Like it will just crush you if you do not end up making your own art and your own work. Uh because the fact is, as most people know, you will not get a majority of the auditions you do. I mean, it's just, it's a huge numbers game. And if you don't get to keep creating, you will get really down on yourself and it, it will exhaust you. And that's why it's so important for you to find ways to express yourself outside of other people's productions. And it doesn't have to be a huge deal. You don't have to start your own full opera company, though you absolutely can if you want to. But you could just do a recital with friends. You could do it in a church. You could do it in a library or a nursing home. Uh, Nursing homes and churches especially. Love, love, love when people come and sing to them. I cannot express enough how much fun it is to go and do recitals. Uh, in places where people come to to really feel things. Um,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But it can be as small or as big as you want it to be, and it doesn't have to be a huge ordeal, but it's so, so important that you get out there and you keep making art even when you're not in some professional production.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there are just so many things that you can do with your time. I mean, like you were saying, putting on your own recital, you could... You know, take advantage of social media and post, set a goal for yourself to post a new recording, you know, every other week, whatever. But, you know, take time to really put stuff out there. You could do scenes with friends. You guys could put on like a scenes program. I know lots of people do this kind of thing in like bars and in different, um, you know, fun venues where it's like they have no choice but to listen. And it's super fun. And you guys can have like a great time doing something like that. Um, you know the value of preparing a role over the summer, even if you're not necessarily like under contract to perform it anytime soon, is such a good exercise. See how see how you do learning a role, you know, in a month or two. Set different goals for yourself. See how fast you can learn the recits alone in just a role or a score, and see how that how that goes for you. Because it's all just going to give you s- so much insight on how you learn. Take some language classes, tutoring over the summer in any subject related to music or any of the related fields is so good. Take a dance class, do some different types of fitness. There's just so much that you could do.
1: Ah yes. Nothing but recit for an entire summer.
0: Honestly though, it's that is like that's literally how I spent this past summer when I I had two French roles to learn <laughs> in one summer that had like a crap ton of recit. And I I mean, at the time, if you talked to me, you probably wouldn't have wanted to talk to me because I was dying. But (laughs) it taught me so much about how I learn recit, what works, what doesn't. And let's just be straight up, recit's like the worst part for us singers to learn and conquer and actually really feel comfortable. So there, you know, do some stuff that you really love to do. And then also, if you're not going to a summer program, focus on the stuff that you're weak in, you know? Stretch Something yourself. that's really interesting about, yeah, something that's really interesting about living in LA, is I'm part of all these Facebook groups. I'm practically a Facebook mom. But <laughs> uh, I see these things pop up all the time that people just have these random harmony classes or these random, like, sight singing classes or group piano classes that cost nothing because a bunch of people are like, hey, I'm not as good as I really should be on this so they just start these group classes and people like either come in for free or pay like five dollars to be part of this group like you know once a week and they just like practice their harmony skills which I'm like I gotta get on that because that's like the coolest thing but if you have friends who are just like you know they it's June and they don't leave for their program until July like start something like that and do it with friends and make it a fun experience oh yeah And I
1: have a friend who was, uh, who is in Minneapolis, who does, he's in some program where they all get together and they just sight read operas. They just assign the roles and they sight read them, which is incredible. Uh, And then by the end of their time together, they've actually prepared the full opera, which is really cool. But that's the whole thing. It's like, you'd be shocked at where, no matter where you live, that there are groups like this. Everywhere. And if not, you can start them because all you really need for most of these are maybe a couple of singers and a pianist, which is pretty available if you're in a music school somewhere. Absolutely. You know, and I also will say this, um, prepping roles, prepping full roles, huge, huge advantage in the long run um, to have an overall knowledge of the opera. And especially if it has recit, because recit is notoriously difficult to memorize. I don't know if it was for you, but it was for me. Oh,
0: yes. (laughs)
1: um, But it also prepares you for the reality that eventually you will have to be self-motivating when you get out of school. Not only for that, but also for the fact that eventually we as young musicians will eventually uh, be the people in charge of this industry. We will be the people directing how it presents itself to the world. And you should prepare for that now because that's exactly what you should want to do is to be a leader in how music and how classical music continues to thrive in the world.
0: Amen. I love that you touched on the fact that we have to be self-motivating as singers. So let me just say, if you're still an undergrad or still doing grad school, and you ever have a couple months or whatever, a couple weeks, where you were cast in the opera, whatever, oh my gosh, there is nothing harder than being self-motivated when you especially when you get out of school of like I need to actually come up with a schedule that works for me on practice when do I practice piano when do I find the time to look through new songs because you you're forced to do that in school but as soon as you get out you're no longer being forced and it's not it's not a bad reflection on you. It's not like you're lazy, but it is it's it is so difficult to really find a schedule. I mean, you you could talk to people who take gap years between, you know, between doing an undergrad and graduate program. It's usually what they say the hardest thing was was to figure out how they can practice and how they can really manage their time and find a schedule that works for them. So, yes. Being a self-motivated person is an incredibly important skill to learn.
1: Yeah, it's and it's something that you don't always realize until there's no longer obvious performance dates directly in front of you. In school, you're performing pretty regularly. And as soon as you get out, it's really on you to either join a group or to start your own your own performance thing, whether it be, like I said, small recitals, even just for friends and family. Because it can be very difficult to focus on your music when you don't see a purpose and so you have to create that purpose
0: absolutely yeah I have a lot of respect for people who start these groups or start a choir or start you know an opera performing company or start you know a chamber orchestra or what have you it's just it it can be tough work and you know you have to make sure that the people that you're having work with you are dedicated to it as well but You know, you're doing exactly what we should be doing is creating opportunities for yourself and others. Yeah. And creating more opportunities for people in your community, regardless of where you live. And especially if you live somewhere where there's not a ton of classical music and give them the opportunity to go and hear some great music. Well, and on the note of people who you should not be working with,
1: our next point is that everyone should cut out toxicity in all its forms. And that's not just people. Uh people are one of the most obvious parts of it, but there's also bad situations or toxic habits that we all personally have. And this is one of the things that will take the most out of you is not recognizing and taking care of toxic situations in your life.
0: Yeah. I mean just I mean it all ties into the same thing, right? Whether you're creating your own opportunity or asking for something that you want, you really need to take some time to soul search and really figure out and establish your self-worth because at the end of the day, everybody's in it for themselves, right? Nobody's going to support you the way that you will. And so it's like you have to really be self-aware and and honest with yourself about the expectations that you have and, you know, your self-worth.
1: A great test to see if you are in a toxic situation of some kind, whether it be of your own making or uh, just something that's going on, is to say, would I let my, my best friend deal with this? Would I let my best friend stay in this situation? And if the answer is no, then you're in a toxic situation. And you, even if you don't feel like it, you have to have to work on getting mm-hmm. out of it. Because it can be really hard. There are times when your self-esteem and your self-worth are incredibly low. But if you wouldn't let your best friend be treated that way, you should absolutely not be, let yourself be treated that way. The best friend test is also super helpful because it can help when you're lacking in self-awareness. When you lack that ability to innately recognize bad situations. Um, I have always been an incredibly emotional person. And back when I did have more of a habit of overreacting, I realized I had started downplaying situations that were actually legitimately bad because I was afraid that it was me just being too sensitive. Hmm. So this little test can really help you become more self-aware and be more honest with yourself about what among those situations uh, is something that is is actually hurting you.
0: Yeah boundaries are incredibly important and I feel like this is something that I we're all constantly learning but I feel like this has come to such a forefront for me this year and one of the things that I personally really really struggle with every day is that working yourself to exhaustion is not a virtue it's not a good thing I feel like society has told us that if you're constantly tired and constantly like on the grind or hustling, that that's like the right approach and like you're doing great. And while obviously, if you can't already tell, we are huge about being proactive and creating your own opportunities, working yourself into the ground to an unhealthy point, there's nothing good about that. It's not worth it it's there's no hustle that's great enough to really be better than your well-being
1: and this plays into a lot of toxic habits surrounding exhaustion you know i remember my friends and i when we were we were in really competitive classes or whatever But we would always talk about how little we were sleeping, how we didn't have time to eat, you know. And it was, it used to be kind of a competition between us that like, oh, I'm so busy, I don't have time for X or Y. All of which were important things to keep our bodies functioning. And when I got into music, I realized how quickly, how terrible it was. Because once you're not sleeping or not eating or not drinking enough water or any of these things, you will not be able to perform. You will perform so much worse because your body physically cannot perform at that level, and especially with classical music when you are not well.
0: Yeah. You can't expect yourself to get through a three-hour opera or play a two-hour concert if you haven't slept or eaten anything. It's just, it's unreasonable. You can't do it. And looking back...
1: It wasn't, there were two things that really played into it for me, which was uh, poor time management. I wasn't managing my time properly, so I was staying up super late to uh, do work, or I was skipping something because I was trying to finish homework that I hadn't finished. And the other side of that coin was taking on too much and not being willing to say no, even to projects and things I didn't want to be doing, because I felt bad about saying no. And it's okay to say no. It is so good for you to occasionally say no, Michelle.
0: Yeah. See, for me, (laughs) I don't want to say no. I want to do it all. I know. And so I have to teach myself that just because I want to do it all doesn't mean that I, A, have to do it all now, B, that I personally have to be the one to do it. But most importantly, it's like, I've realized, especially in these last couple months, that I'm one person. And some days, you know, I always try to live where I just try to do my best. And, you know, my best today may be terrible (laughs) versus my best tomorrow. But you have to be okay with that at some point. And it's like, if you just work yourself into the ground, like, at, at what cost? Like is it really worth it? And I feel like the more I do this to myself, the more I realize that it just, it isn't. I can still be a super successful, super proactive person and also be healthy, (laughs) you know? They're not exclusive to one another. Yeah.
1: Even if you want to do everything, you have to keep in mind that if you really want to do your best at things that you're doing, you have to prioritize. And it's occasionally we have to say no to things that we actually would like to do because we know right now we can't devote the time necessary to them. Yeah. And that's okay because wanting to do your best at the things you're already currently committed to is important and it'll keep you from taking on so much that you are just doing the bare minimum on all of them because you physically can't handle more.
0: Yeah. And that, that takes a lot of self-awareness, like we were talking about. You really have to know you, your limits, and your body's limits. So things like therapy. And honestly, one of the best things is, like, when I am just, like, drowning in music, spending time with my, like, non-music friends, doing, like, a non-music activity, is just, like, exactly what I need. Because as classical musicians we're always analyzing. We're always on, you know. We're always learning and and diving into these really deep topics. And sometimes it's nice to just be like sitting on the couch with random friends watching the bachelor or something ridiculous, you know, or watching a movie or going out and getting some exercise, going on a hike. Like it's just it's 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 a good thing.
1: Yeah, I Michelle is actually the only music major I ever lived with and that was with two other people who were not music majors who I continued to live with and I think that did wonders for my mental health during my undergrad degree because it was so nice to come home and not be talking about the casting or the shows or what was coming up or what we were uh what homework we had or whatever it was just nice to take a break from the music department as a whole um And you should be taking rest and breaks. They are not luxuries. They are things that you really have to carve out time for yourself to do. Yes. Because if you do not take a break, your body will decide when it wants to take a break for you or your brain will decide when it wants to take a break for you. Your mental health and your physical health are so incredibly important. And so you really have to cut out these bad habits um, because otherwise you will end up wasting so much time trying to recover from the consequences of them. So take time, enjoy outside hobbies, enjoy people outside of your music building, and make sure that you create spaces for yourself where you are valued outside of your music.
0: Yeah, kind of, you know, continuing on about cutting out toxicity. Um, You know, we live in such a digital world nowadays, it's so easy to just fly through Instagram or Facebook or whatever and be reading news and... Really start to kind of feel that imposter syndrome when you see, you know, hashtag thrilled to announces, you know, every other post. Yeah. Or somebody just won some competition or they just got cast with this summer program or they blah, 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 blah. It can it can really take a toll on somebody's mental health, even if you're doing a lot, you know, there's always that temptation to be like, I'm not doing enough. I just saw on Instagram that this person's already doing this and they're younger than me or they whatever, you know, but it's important to remember that social media is a highlight reel.
1: (laughs) This one's definitely a particularly tough one for me um, because especially when I'm not in the greatest mood, I tend to spend more time on my phone around the computer. And so I end up surfing social media a bit more than I would. And it can be very easy to be overwhelmed by comparison. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the quote is, comparison is the thief of joy. And that's absolutely true because you just don't know how many rejection letters anybody got this season. You don't know. We only see people's successes because we don't very frequently talk about getting rejected. So you never know. And you can't compare because everyone is leading a completely different life, often in different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. there's just no point to it there's nothing actually productive about doing it so make sure you're not becoming obsessive uh with other people's social media yeah make sure you're watching your time on it and if it is actually affecting you then make sure to take some breaks
0: yeah or mute people (laughs) you know yeah exactly Easy enough.
1: But also beyond like habits and things within our own self, there are also external things that can be adversely affecting us in our lives. Um, It is pretty common within the music industry. Everyone has a story about a teacher or a coach or someone that they've worked with who was bad. (laughs) I'll just put it simply bad in some way, whether it's because they were cruel or they were, you know, They weren't conscious of your time or they were too personal in some way. There are many situations in which you'll run into people in the music industry. And because it's such a personal industry, you see a lot more of it than you might see in other fields because we get a lot closer with
0: the people we work with. This happens all the time. Like you said, everybody really has a story. And like, it's just never okay to be cruel to somebody or purposefully try to publicly humiliate them. It's just, it's never the right technique to use, literally ever.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it really doesn't matter, like, what their resume says, doesn't matter how many years they spent at the Met or who they studied with. No one has the right to treat you poorly. It is not okay. That's not how we treat other people. There is this weird idea in music sometimes that Being treated with cruelty, being put down and broken apart by a teacher is some kind of rite of passage, and it is not. There is a difference between a teacher being honest with you and a teacher who is trying to hurt you, and recognizing that difference is incredibly important for you, for your health, and for your education, because you will end up wasting time with people who have a
0: great reputation as performers who are not good teachers. Absolutely. Yeah, and in a future episode we'll get into kind of what to look out for when you really are in that situation because sometimes, you know, if your self-worth is not where you would like it to be, sometimes you just like you said assume that it's a rite of passage or oh, well if my teacher or this coach or in this master class this guest said this to me, then you know, it must be true or I must deserve this because I'm just not good enough. No, no, no. Uh. Uh-uh. All false. You deserve to be treated with respect like we all do. And anybody that does that to you, you really need to evaluate if this is somebody that you're seeing on a regular basis how to get rid of them. Not even whether or not you want them to stick around, but, like, you got to get out of that situation.
1: Absolutely. And there's a way to give constructive criticism. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. Constructive criticism does not tear you apart. It may sting a little, but it does
0: not break you as a person. Yeah. There's nothing wrong... To a little bit of tough love. I personally respond well to a little bit of tough love. Oh, yeah. But if somebody starts truly putting me down or saying things about me as a person, that's a huge line to cross that is just not okay.
1: Absolutely. And you have to remember, too, it's your time and money, and you are allowed to spend it the way you want to. Yes. So you should not feel bad about switching teachers. And even if your teacher isn't toxic and you're just finding out like, oh, you know what? I don't think this teacher and I work well together. And it's not actually a terrible, terrible situation. It's not that uncommon to switch teachers. It's not some big traumatic event. I promise you. I have never really heard someone say that they regretted switching. Most of the time, people just regret the time they wasted by not switching. So don't be afraid to switch teachers, toxic situation or not. Most teachers won't take it personally anyway and it's your time and money, so don't waste it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you have a great teacher and everything's good, but sometimes it's your peers that are the ones that are creating some toxicity. You know, obviously there are music schools out there that put a ton of importance on fostering a good community, and we love them. But, you know, it's not like that everywhere. But... You have to be a good peer to others. You don't want to be the toxic one. So please do not engage or, you know, create or continue to prolong any toxic behavior. But if you're the subject of it, you really have to decide what your boundaries are and how you're going to really uphold them.
1: Absolutely. Um, And that goes to say, like, once again, you should recognize within yourself if you may be the person causing a toxic situation. It can be really hard to realize that we're doing it, but obviously when you're in a field that, by its very nature, causes you to compete with people, you're gonna compete with people for solos and roles and all sorts of stuff, and it can be very hard to be in a continual competitive field. So you have to check yourself, and you have to make sure that if you're jealous or you're upset or you're sad, you cannot let those emotions rule you It's okay to feel them, everyone does, but what you do with them is reflective of who you are. Everyone gets angry and sad and jealous, but if you hurt other people or you talk behind their backs or if you start creating toxic situations, you need to reflect on that because the choices we make with what we do with our emotions do say something about us.
0: Yeah, it's really on all of us to keep competition from becoming toxic, you know, because at the end of the day, If you create a big fuss about not getting something, you're just, you know, subscribing to the idea that there's not going to be another job for you. And that's, as we've already covered, so far from the truth. So honestly, when you're especially an undergrad, I mean, four years together with usually pretty much the same people, like, you've got to make the best of that situation. And most of the time, you know, people are pretty friendly. And music communities are pretty close-knit. But, I mean, just really consider how you're treating others and the dynamic of your situation. Because, you know, when you're with the same people for so many years, you really just got to pick your battles. I mean, be friends, you know? Be supportive of one another. Don't trash talk people behind their back or when a cast list goes up being, oh my god, I can't believe that person got it. Like, just be a good peer to everybody.
1: Well, and I cannot say this enough. Do not talk behind people's backs. Please don't. Because it will always come back to bite you. And you also don't know what's going to be said that's going to be misconstrued. You have to be so, so careful about this kind of thing. I ended up talking about one of my colleagues who's a composer in a separate class, in a separate field, like not music related in any way. And it got back to him what I had said. Now, I had made a pretty innocuous comment Um. Which basically boiled down to the fact that his music was very difficult to perform. Not that it was bad, but that it was difficult and that he was going to have some trouble getting really good recordings of it because it required a lot of time that our instrumentalists didn't necessarily have to prep. What he got back from that was that his music was bad and he wouldn't get any recordings of it. Luckily, he was my friend, so he just came and said to my face, Why would you say that? I explained the miscommunication. And everything was fine, but you really, really have to watch yourself and make sure, because had it actually been something negative, it really could have ruined that relationship and there was no need for it. So please, please, please do not talk behind people's backs because music departments are small and you will be with these people for a long time and you will be in shows with them and you never know how your relationship with those people is going to change. So don't talk behind people's backs. And if you do have a problem with somebody, have the decency to say it to their face.
0: Yeah. You know, most things, most, like, negative things between people are just a result of miscommunication. So we're not in high school anymore, y'all. Absolutely. Uh, if you approach something
1: and just try and work it out with somebody calmly, very often you can get through stuff. Because it really usually is just a a matter of someone not thinking. More of a accidentally stepping on someone's toes than a yeah. purposeful <laughs> stomp.
0: Summary. Make sure you're not the toxic person and uh, be kind to others. It's it's so true whenever people say that, you know, the music community is small and the classical music community is even smaller. So <laughs> you really need to just be a good colleague, you know. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. You never know when you're going to 10 years from now end up at the same concert or the same program or working for the same opera company or playing in the same orchestra. You just never know. So, you know. Hosting the same podcast. ha <laughs> 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 ha. Ho, ho. But you
1: never know who you're going to come back and work with. Uh, and you never know when you're going to meet somebody again down the line. And so it's really important to not let the competition of everything get in the way of the fact that the people you work with are human and they also deserve to be treated
0: with respect. Yes. Amen. Respect is is the word. But, you know, this brings us into our, our fourth pillar of also having some respect for yourself in the terms that we, you know, there's this little thing called anxiety and we literally all have it. Woo! <laughs> Especially as musicians. It's
1: so very true. I don't think... There are many musicians I know who actually would say they've never dealt with anxiety. I don't think really any of them would. Um, and I think it just comes from being in like a high-pressure, um, very critical mm-hmm. field. And unfortunately, I think it's really what's behind, especially speaking on just an absolutely personal level, it is the source of most of my problems in music. <laughs> Probably my anxiety and my personal like fears around anxiety have have been the biggest
0: um, impediment to progress for me vocally. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, like I said, I mean, whether you're a musician or not, I mean, statistically, I feel like everybody's got anxiety at some point, you know? Like, obviously some people deal with it on a very regular basis, but regardless, it's so important to know healthy ways to cope and how anxiety specifically affects you because just because you have anxiety doesn't mean that you experience it the same way as one of your colleagues you know yeah well I think
1: I think one of the best things you can keep in mind is that nobody really cares about any of your mistakes as much as you do the reality is is that we are musicians and when we forget words or we screw up uh something, or we forget the melody, or whatever happens, no one dies. (laughs) No one dies when we screw up. It is a very low-stakes field in the bigger picture of things, even though in the moment it can feel like I've just ruined everything.
0: Yeah, those moments where it feels like it's the end of the world, it's really not. Everybody's so focused on themselves, and not necessarily, you know, in a bad way, but just because something happened, yeah. Cracked on a high note Something came out wrong You forgot your French lyrics Whatever
1: Yes, me specifically In my graduate recital I replaced an entire verse of French With only the word a loss," And only my voice teacher knew Because it's not a very well-known set Not a single
0: other person in that room actually knew Yeah, it's okay Nobody cares In my graduate recital I straight up came in on the wrong note <laughs> And I've never done that in the entire time. The months that I had learned that song, it starts with an instrumental interlude. And I just straight up came in a different key. And I was like, and I laughed and I looked at my pianist and she played the right note. And then we went on and it's all a recording. And I didn't, I didn't care. Yeah, it was a little embarrassing because like you're in the middle of your graduate recital. But like, whatever, like the audience chuckled and we went on with the show. Like, nobody died. I bet you nobody remembers (laughs) that that happened. And if they do, it was just, it was funny. And we moved on. But it's nothing to beat yourself over the head with, you know? It's just like, we all make mistakes. Music is something where you are focusing on 50 things at a time. You're concentrating on your breathing. you try not to do weird things with your hands and face. You're trying to remember all of your lyrics and what the heck they mean. And trying to, you know, make sure your technique is right. There's so much to focus on. If you mess up, literally nobody cares except you. Well, and also professionals Mm -hmm. mess up all the time. I promise you. Mm -hmm. All the time. I have watched
1: so many pianists feed words to musicians who have been doing these roles for, honestly, decades. It will happen to everyone. It is just the nature of what we do. Yeah. Everyone screws up. And I think, I believe it was, um, I actually think, I can't remember the names of these specific singers, but there have been several singers who have said, I have given the performance I wanted to give maybe two or three times in my entire life over, once again, decades of performing. If you don't give the performance you wanted to give, welcome to the club. We're all here. (laughs) Welcome to music.
0: (laughs) Welcome to music. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, there. it's not like, you know, after I study for X amount of years or after I study with this teacher or after I've performed here or done this or won this award that, you know, I'll get to this point of success or or this high level of art where I'll never mess up again. No, that doesn't exist. That's wrong.
1: (laughs) Well, that's so true because the reality is, we often make mistakes when we are trying new things, and we should always, always be pushing ourselves and and trying to bring something new to what we sing. Perfectionism is a terrible quality in a musician because it assumes that there is actually just one singular right way of doing something, and that's a terrible mind frame to be stuck in. Because... Performances are at their best when they are unique to you and they are intensely personal and it is something that only you have to say. And that's the level at which like, you become an artist instead of just someone who performs something by rote.
0: So really, like, to bring it back, we stop ourselves from achieving so much excellence because we let anxiety keep us from getting there or doing the things that would guide us down that path and like I said anxiety it's different for all of us I personally have horrible horrible recording anxiety which is unfortunate because you have to make new recordings every audition season but you have to really learn you know the root of it why does this make you anxious because that will bring you so much clarity on on you know where the heck this anxiety came from, how to deal with it, and how to healthfully cope with it.
1: You really have to start to have a plan on how you deal with your anxiety because it really won't go away on its own. Sometimes it's changing how you think about things. Sometimes it's actually a routine you do. Um, But whatever it is, you have to start to think about the situations that make you nervous. Maybe it's recording, maybe it's performing, maybe it's auditioning. But you have to start to, find a way to deal with it, because otherwise it will start to get worse. It will start to actually impede you from getting up and going out there because you'll make excuses as to why you shouldn't make new recordings this week or shouldn't take that audition because you're just not quite ready. You will find excuses to put yourself out of those situations if you don't start to deal with it because anxiety is very taxing on you and your body.
0: Yeah. Also, I feel like I personally am way more anxious when I'm not taking care of myself. When I'm not getting sleep, and especially if I don't eat, I, and especially if I eat, I, or don't eat, but then drink a ton of coffee, like everything is terrible to me. So you, a lot of it boils down to how you're treating yourself as well. Yeah. Well,
1: and I think I, I started to change the way I thought about things before I went in. Uh, in the last audition I did. I was kind of getting nerves because it had been a little while since I had auditioned, and it always makes me nervous to walk in. I love auditioning, actually, because I think it's very fun, but sometimes not knowing what kind of room you're going to be walking into, not how you're going to be facing, kind of gives me a little bit of anxiety. And I just kept reminding myself that I wanted to have fun, and they wanted to be entertained, and that's all that really mattered. That it wasn't, once again, this life-or-death thing, and they weren't sitting behind that... They weren't sitting in those chairs waiting to make fun of me. Everyone just wants to have a good time. And so sometimes it's a mental thing. Sometimes it's a physical thing. But whatever it is, you you have to start to find ways to to deal with it. And I think another way mentally to deal with it is to remember that not everyone is going to like what you do. No matter what you do. Not everyone... You're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Mm -hmm. I know that's hard. I'm a supreme people pleaser. I hate when people don't like the thing I do, but the reality is, is that no matter how well I do something, there will always be people who would prefer that I did it a different way. Everybody's got opinions. (laughs) Yeah, and you get to decide whose opinions actually matter to you. You should not put everyone's thoughts and feelings about what you do at an equal level of importance, you should decide the couple of people whose opinions actually matter to you, and the rest of it you have to learn to start to tune out. I actually looked up where this quote was from this week, um, but it was "What other people think about you is none of your business," and that's actually RuPaul. I love that. Good job, RuPaul. <laughs> I know. Well, what what RuPaul does takes a supreme amount of confidence,
0: and so does what we do. Yeah. Listen, y'all, you are not perfect and you are never going to be perfect. And rather than taking that as a negative thing, I think that that is so freeing. It's like a weight off of my shoulders that I can do what I got to do and if it's not always the best product or performance that I was hoping, whatever. <laughs> you know, like you everybody's on their own journey. Everybody's at a different point in development in their career and x y z and not trying to be perfect is a good thing you can just do your thing the thing that makes you you and the people like the reason people want to listen to you you know yeah well and nobody
1: nobody cares about your mistakes as much as you do everyone else is exactly as self-interested as you are Mm -hmm. So every time you're sitting there obsessing about what you just did wrong and you're thinking that everyone else is thinking about it, they're not. They're thinking about their lunch. They're thinking about what they messed up. They're thinking about what they have to do later that day. I promise you, nobody is obsessing over your mistakes the way you are. And you don't have to think about that. You don't have to (laughs) carry that weight anymore.
0: Yeah, people are usually more supportive than you give them credit for. And more than that, When you're performing, especially for an audience that's largely non-musicians, heck, nine times out of the ten, they don't even know you messed up. So you are golden, baby. Don't worry about it. Never apologize for a performance you give because so many people do not know you messed up. No. (laughs) Like, especially, like, okay, let me say that if you mess up, no matter how horrible it is, if you commit, to acting like you didn't mess up, like you plan to do exactly what happened, like people are gonna be like, oh, that was an interesting style choice, or oh wow, I I really, I didn't know that that was a, they had had a different translation of this. Like, who cares? If you own it, people are just gonna go with it, you know? So, so true.
1: And as for like the basic steps of starting to deal with your anxiety, if you're like, I have it, but I don't know what to do, I don't know where to even begin, Start with the basics. Make sure you're eating, you're sleeping, and maybe getting some exercise. Because once those things are in place, we can start to figure out what other issues might be at hand. But until your body and your very, very basic human needs of like, like I said, eating, sleeping, socializing, drinking water. Once those basics are taken care of, you can start to think about the specifics of what might be making you anxious. Mm -hmm. But until those are taken care of, it's pretty hard to tell what, if anything else, is wrong.
0: Yeah. Exercising, you know, they always say that exercise is so good for you and your mental health, but honestly, it really is. Spending time outside, even if you're not a super outdoorsy person, is really important. You know, don't lock yourself in a practice room for hours and hours and hours and hours and and never see the light of day. Like, it it will take a toll on you. Go on a hike. Go walk around your city. Even if it's only for like five or ten minutes, being outside is just it at least for me it completely helps me reset well yeah and go do it with people
1: like i think i think one of the worst things we do do to ourselves when we're depressed or anxious is we isolate ourselves quite a bit and being around other people can once again give you more of that perspective of the fact that nobody else is worried about the thing you're worrying about it can be so nice to sit with other people and realize that the world is still <laughs> the world is still moving Everything is still going on, it's all going to be okay. So and, and for things that go beyond that, if you're in school, almost every school has some form of free counseling. And I urge you to take advantage of it. I did when I was in undergrad and in grad school, and it was it's very helpful sometimes if you feel like, oh, I don't want to talk to my friends about this for the hundredth time, or oh, I feel like my my feelings are just really ridiculous. It can be very nice to go to a therapist. Because they don't have a stake in what happens in your life. They have no, they're not going to tell your friends. They're not going to tell you what you're feeling is ridiculous. They will help you put it into perspective and help you learn how to reframe the way you
0: think. So please take advantage of those services. It's very, very useful. Even if you're not somebody, you know, who struggles with anxiety on a day-to-day basis, or, you know, for the most part, your anxiety is either circumstantial or pretty, under control really seeking help even if you're in that situation is such a nice thing it's really nice to be able to talk to somebody who's totally objective you know especially if you can find like you said something someone through your school if they also have experience talking to musicians or a musician themselves you know it's it's just really nice to get some things off of you yeah absolutely absolutely So,
1: things are really only as bad as you make them out to be. What self-advocacy really boils down to is valuing yourself and your time enough to take care of these issues. And so, take them pillar by pillar and these will help you build the career and the life that you want instead of letting life drag you along with it. It can be very, very difficult to put yourself in the position where you are in charge, but it will make you so much happier and you will start making the kinds of art that you really want to. Amen. So thank you so much for joining us. This has been Opera Offstage. We'll be back next week with another episode, but in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter all under Opera Offstage. Bye. Bye.